0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to ARE Live. I'm Mark Tier, the founder of Black Spectacles, and today we're going to be talking project planning and design. So we're going to be using a a mock exam um, to really kind of cover and review a variety of topics in this particular division of the ARE. And then, you know, after this episode, you'll have a good idea and some of the tools that you're going to need to help you feel comfortable. Um, uh, demonstrating your understanding of these concepts and principles, you know, for the actual uh, project planning and design exam. Uh, But before we get started, if you would like to attend our next ARE live broadcast, we're going to be discussing the other one, project development and documentation, um, the other big one. Uh, We'll be doing that also with uh, Mike uh, Newman. And we'll also be using the same uh, approach. Uh, So we'll be using a mock exam, um, which again is going to give you kind of like a a good f- uh, flavor for, for what the uh, concepts will be for that exam. Um, a couple updates to our products. If you haven't heard already, um, very proud to announce that Black Spectacles is the first and only NCARB approved test prep provider. And in fact, uh, if you've been following these um, uh, episodes for ARE Live, you know that we've been talking about that for about six months. Uh, as they've been sort of marching through one, you know, one review of each exam at a time. Well, they finally reviewed all of them, all six of them, um, and so we can say that all of our uh, coursework for a, uh, for the ARE 5.0 has been reviewed and approved by NCARB, so something we're really proud of. Um, so many people have been involved in helping to develop the content, including uh, Mr. Newman here. Um, so it's it's quite an accomplishment to to have achieved that. Um, really, uh, to be the first and only to ever have achieved that. So that's pretty exciting for us. And what's cool is they didn't just look at our our videos; they looked at our practice exams and our flashcards. Really, the entire offering that we have reviewed it and um, and approved it all uh, under their new program. So. Um, so, it's a real exciting thing. In addition to that, as you probably know, in addition to our video lectures and practice exams and flashcards, we have our group coaching program, uh, which is about a year, year, year and a half old. Um, and so, registration I- for Cohort 6, which is our sixth group of folks, um, uh, opens up on Friday. Um, you can join the waitlist now if you want early access to that registration. We usually keep a uh, uh, sort of an open waitlist, so if you just go to our website right now and you go to the group coaching section, uh, you will find a waitlist. So you can uh, sign up there, and then basically on Wednesday you will um, you'll get uh, basically an early email, and you can uh, you can register for that program. It's a really awesome program because. As you guys all know, uh, I think the biggest problem with passing the exams is just getting on a pace and having a group of people around you to keep you motivated. Um, and that's what the group coaching program is. You basically get paired up in a uh, group of about 8 to 10 people. It's a virtual program. Um, so you meet you know, usually uh, with Google Hangouts. You meet twice a month. You take one exam a month. Um, and you get, You get. know, a lot of people talk about getting really close to the people who... Uh, who actually take that, uh, you know, go through the, the process together. Um, and you basically, uh, when you're done, you've, you've basically in six months taken all six exams. Um, and in many cases, folks are done with the ARE, which is, uh, which is really awesome. So if you're interested in that, um, again, you can go to blackspectacles.com coaching, um, and you can find more information, sign up for the wait list. Uh, and if not, uh, many of you will probably get an email from us uh, to register uh, coming up next week. With that, um, I often uh, like to remind folks, um, if you'd like your boss to pay for your Black Spectacles membership, uh, be sure to tell them about our firm licenses for any size firm. Whether you work at a 10-person or a 10,000-person firm, we have firm licenses that give multiple users access. Um, the group administrators uh, also have access and reporting and all that good stuff. Um, so just go to blackspectacles.com firms uh, if you'd like to learn more about that. Um, and today we have a special discount on Black Spectacles individual memberships to share, so I'll provide that coupon code at the end of the show. At the end of today's episode, since we're doing a mock exam, um, we're going to choose someone from all the folks who have submitted their answers, um, and they'll get a free one-month ARE prep Black Spectacles uh, subscription, and we'll be tracking your answers. And everyone who gets them all right will get a free Black Spectacles t-shirt, so stay tuned for that. Uh, my guest today is Mr. Mike Newman. If you don't know Mike, He's a senior lecturer at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. He's also the founder of Shed Studio, and he is the instructor for our Black Spectacles online exam prep uh, curriculum. Um, And if you haven't already checked that out, you can go over to blackspectacles.com to watch any of the free tutorials for the courses. Uh, Today, we'll be taking questions using the GoToWebinar uh, question box. And with that, I'll hand it over to you, Mike.
1: Okay, well, uh, hello everybody. So just a quick uh, reminder of where we are in all of this. Uh, With the six different exams, the first two is uh, practice management and project management, sort of large-scale overarching uh, exams. And then there's the four that are sort of the sequential ones that are about the timeline of a project. The one that we did last time, the programming and analysis exam, is really that beginning phase, like you're just getting the project. surveys and contracts with owners and uh, kind of what, what you would do before potentially you even have the project or right at the beginning. And then comes the next one, which is this exam, which is project planning and design. And so this one is sort of uh, kind of somewhere from schematic design into design development. It's that, that point where you pretty much know kind of the idea behind what, how you're going to approach the project but now you're designing it. Now you're actually planning it all out, making sure everything fits, choosing the materials, uh, getting it sort of to the right spot. And then the next one, the one that we're gonna do the mock exam next time for, uh, the uh, project documentation exam is really that sort of uh, end of DD design development and into contract documents uh, exam, where that's the one where you really get into like detailing and uh, you know, uh, calculations and things like that. Uh, and then the final one, of course, is the kind of construction administration, um, uh, what, what the architect does during construction exams. So we're right in that second of those four, the project planning and design uh, uh, process here. So uh, we've given out a mock exam. We're going to run through those, uh, those questions. And you know, the vast majority of the questions you're going to get when you take the exam are going to be fairly straightforward. Uh, you know, a question with then four possible answers. Uh, A few of them will be uh, a question with, say, six answers, and you choose multiples, either two or three, typically three. Uh, A few will be uh, fill-in-the-blank, and those are generally numbers. Uh, So, you know, how many parking spaces would that be? You know, 22, you know, like it's where you fill in a specific piece of information. But then there's also a couple of other uh, types of questions uh, called hotspots and and drag-and-drop. Uh, And or Dragon Place, Uh, and uh, we just wanted to take a quick second before we get on to our sort of general uh, mock exam and just take a quick look at those. So I'm gonna jump over to uh, this particular little screen. This is a little mock-up of what the screen um, would uh, look like. And uh, here's you have a situation where I'm gonna just read out the question. Uh, The drawing below shows a small portion of a new high school floor plan. In the assembly room shown, it has been determined that the room shall have an occupancy such that it will need two means of egress. Place one of the doors onto the wall location you think it should go to accommodate the code required second door exit. So here's the room. Uh, You have uh, the assembly room uh, shown right there. It's that great big uh, room. There's a corridor off to the side and uh, sort of open space off to the uh, uh, right-hand side. Uh, and so the question is, uh, we have one door currently uh, and the question says we need to have two doors. So in this situation, there's, if this is a hotspot, um, so we'll talk about it as a hotspot right for the moment, uh, then you would take your pointer and you would figure out uh, where you think that door would go and you would place your pointer down Uh, and uh, you sort of click into that part of the drawing and uh, either it's in the right area or it's not. Uh, And uh, that's just sort of where in the drawing does it make sense to answer this question? So let's just do that real quick. So uh, first question here is, uh, I have a, a corridor on one side, I need to have a second exit. The first thing you'd probably think is, well, the door should really be along also the corridor exit. But if I put a door in this zone, um, you're going to find that that's going to be too close to the other door. If you have two exits, they need to be reasonably far away from each other. The sort of classic way of defining this, it's uh, it's not always written into every code, but pretty much every uh, code official will, will think of it this way, is if I draw a line from one corner all the way Uh, to the other corner. see if it'll catch up to me here. Uh, And if I draw that line and then half that distance, so half of the hypotenuse of this rectangle, uh, if I uh, can keep the doors at least that far apart from each other, then they're far enough apart from each other. Uh, And so I can't, if I'm on the corridor side, I can't do that. I can't just place a door here and be far enough away from that uh, first door, which means that the only possible places that I can do it are going to be uh, out here uh, on this outside wall. So I'm gonna put my spot down right there and you can see that it placed it in. Uh, that's a hot spot, and I've just placed it. Now, uh, I actually uh, could have, now we have the little thing here where it automatically tells us it's correct. Obviously it won't necessarily do that on the exam. Um, I could have placed it anywhere on this outside wall because any of those spots would be far enough away to uh, answer the question uh, about uh, getting it uh, uh, a second exit with a reasonable distance from the first exit. Uh, So the hotspot can be in anywhere along that line. So this is an example in planning, but you could imagine moving a vapor barrier onto a wall section or Uh, showing where flashing is or showing, you know, there's a number of different ways you could imagine doing it. In drag and drop, drag and place, you see over to the side here we've got some potential doors uh, and it says choose a door. So in this case, it's a little bit more complicated. In this case, it's not just saying uh, where would a door go, it would be saying, all right, I'm going to grab one of these doors and then place it onto the drawing. Now, in that case, in this particular question, because the doors have specific swings, you would have to really think through which way the door should swing. Uh, you may notice that anytime uh, I have a room that needs two exits, that means I have enough people in that room that it's considered a, a, a hazard, uh, that there's danger. If anything goes wrong, we need to get people out quickly and easily. And so if I am required to have two doors, that means those doors are going to be required to. Uh, go in the swing in the e- uh, direction of exit. Uh, so you'll notice that the door that goes out to the corridor does do that, which means that of these doors over here, if we're choosing one uh, to, to go outside, it would have to be uh, uh, either the, of the bottom two, um, because those bottom two ones both swing out Uh, from the space that we're egressing from. Uh, So, hotspot, I'm just placing onto the drawing where I think it makes the most sense. Uh, Drag and drop or drag and place, uh, I'm actually grabbing one of these things and moving it to where uh, I think it should be. All right, hopefully that makes sense and now we're going to move back to the regular mock exam. All right, so let's uh, Jump into the uh, regular questions. While designing the new single-family house in the suburban cul-de-sac, the question comes up about where the electric panel box, technically called the load center, uh, where that should go. You respond, well, the A, the basement; B, back closet; C, within a few feet of the meter; D, near the front door so the firefighters can find it quickly. Uh, so. First of all, A can't be it because not every building's gonna have a basement uh, and that's just not gonna be a reasonable answer. Uh, Back closet, um, you'll find that panels often are put into closets, but they can only be put into certain kinds of closets. Uh, In fact, it's really dangerous for them to be put into smaller closets. So it'd be very unlikely that uh, something, a generic closet answer would be what somebody would ask for in this context. Uh, in fact, there's always, always has to be, depends on the municipality, so you'll see slightly different numbers, but typically three feet from the panel uh, sort of open space uh, next to that. So putting it inside a closet is often very difficult. There's so much stuff in the closet. Uh, and in some places, you're not allowed to put it in a closet at all anyway, um, because there's uh, fire hazards and cardboard boxes and you know, things like that and you you don't want to get excessive heat buildup and you don't want to uh, sort of have any opportunity uh, for something to sort of catch fire. But that space issue is really the big deal because if somebody is working on it, if they do get a shock, you want them to be able to be blown away from uh, the uh, panel so they're not uh, held scrunched up next to something that's giving them a a very bad shock. So closets are definitely out uh, in terms of a generic answer like this. So now the big question is between uh, C and D uh, within a few feet of the meter or D near the front door so the firefighters could find it quickly well D sure sounds like a good answer uh, because you want the firefighters to find it quickly but it's actually the wrong answer and the reason for that is that the meter is typically uh, towards the back of the structure towards the back of the house uh, and you are using in a single family residence almost always the meter is the place where the power gets shut off. And so the firefighters want to look at the house, see where the meter is, and then know that they can get to that point. And within just a few feet from that meter, typically it's five feet, some places it's 10 feet, I think some go up to 12, um, uh, that within just a few feet of that meter is where that panel is going to be. So they know that they can turn off the power uh, in the house. You would not want to be a firefighter running through a house with so much power Uh, that it's going to cause uh, trouble. Uh, So, well, then why not D? Well, the answer to why not D is if you uh, have it right by the front door, the firefighters run in, turn it off, that means it's still live between that disconnect all the way back to where that panel is, which means there's actually still quite a lot of power uh, uh, live in the house. And the whole point is you're trying to make it safe for those firefighters. So the answer is going to be C, which uh, let me tell you is one of those things that uh, over the years you have all sorts of trouble locating those damn panels because uh, it never is quite as easy as you think, uh, depending on where the meter is going to go and to find a good spot. Um, this is sort of an unusual question uh, because it's about a single-family house. You will see a few of them about single-family houses, but by far the vast majority of questions you'll get will be small institutions, libraries. Uh, schools, things like that. Let's move on to the next. Okay, number three. The Baseboard heating system uses what sort of method of heat transfer? We have uh, A, radiation, B, convection, conduction, radiation, C, convective currents, D, hydronic VAV. Uh, so, first thing here is we can get rid of D. Um, now, it is in fact a hydronic system Hydronic just means that it's got uh, water, or actually any kind of fluid, but uh, typically water, uh, running through. And we know it's a hydronic system because we can see the pipe. Uh, So this is a hot water baseboard radiant system. Uh, The reason we can get rid of hydronic VAV, though, is because of the VAV part, which is uh, variable air volume. That's a reference to an air-based system and doesn't have anything to do with hydronic. And so uh, it's just not appropriate. Uh, the, The whole answer doesn't make any actual sense. Uh, So, our choices are between A, B, and C. And let's just talk real quickly about how this system works. So, I have hot water coming from somewhere, a boiler presumably, that goes into that pipe. That pipe is filled with hot water and it warms the pipe up. Uh, That uh, is a uh, convection process, having hot water flowing through the pipe. Uh, The conduction between the pipe and then these metal fins So you see all these metal fins uh, on there. Those metal fins are set in order to get the heat from the hot pipe that has been heated up from the hot water, and then those metal fins then radiate heat out into the space, right? So this is clearly a radiation system. This is a radiator. It is a radiation system. However, if you look closely, you realize that uh, air can also come underneath into that space. So it is both a radiator, and then as cold air sort of drops in the room, it gets sort of pulled in by the warmth of the, this, these little fins, these radiators. And then once that air gets in there, it becomes warm air. And what does warm air want to do? It wants to rise. And so that warm air is going to rise up and it's gonna come right out that vent at the top. So this is a radiator that also has convective currents. So essentially what's happening here is I have convection with the hydronic element. I have conduction between the pipe and the fins. I have radiation uh, happening from the fins out to the space. It's radiating to, uh, from one body to another, i.e. these fins to you as a body. Uh, and then uh, I also have convective current, which is another, another example of convection of air moving up through the system uh, and then washing the wall above it uh, with a heat blanket. This is typically uh, done, well, not, uh, most of the time it's done below windows. Uh, and that warms up that wall and stops condensation Helps uh, lessen the problem of a cold window uh, in the space. So the answer here is going to be B: convection, conduction, and radiation. It's the best possible answer out of the various ones we have. Okay, next.
0: That leaves us with eighty-three uh, folks who still have who have gotten all these right. Well done. All right. And we started with. Uh, 10 times that. So yeah, well, these are... Number one, you, you mowed a bunch of people down, yeah, yeah. including me.
1: Yeah, remember that uh, the point of this is... I mean, I'm, I'm glad everybody sort of takes it as a competitive spirit and mm-hmm. everything. That's awesome. Um, but the point of this is just so we have uh, some issues to talk about in a context of uh, questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so don't fret about it if you got one of the wrong. Like, you know, the, that's, that's not the issue here. The issue is just kind of getting a chance to think these things through. So on to number four. Considering uh, zoning analysis for a new project, you would be interested in uh, which of the following. So you're choosing three, uh, covenants, overlay district, easements, fire ratings, FAR, setbacks. Uh, So I'm gonna give you the answers right off the bat here and then we're gonna talk about them just a little bit. So overlay districts, FAR and setbacks. Setbacks is part of the obvious easy one. Uh, for pretty much uh, anywhere in the country, if I have a, a site, it's in a particular district. Each district is going to have a set of rules to it. Uh, those rules are going to say you can build the house uh, maybe you know ten feet from the front uh, front yard uh, property line, or five feet from the side yard property line. Well, those are setbacks. That's telling you where you can build on your site. It might be zero feet because it's a more of an urban setting, a, a retail setting, something like that, but. Uh, it's a way of describing where a building can go. FAR, that's floor area ratio. Floor area ratio is a a simple way of sort of comparing how big a building you're allowed to build on a site to the size of the site. So if the site area is 10,000 square feet and you have an FAR of one, uh, that means you're uh, allowed to build 10,000 square foot of building. Important to remember... That does not include basements. Uh, It could be two floors of 5,000 square feet each. Uh, It uh, could be that the FAR is say 15 and if you had a 15 FAR that's definitely a downtown high-rises kind of situation. You might have an FAR 0.5 that's definitely more suburban. uh, These are supposed to be uh, smaller structures on larger pieces of land, more open land. So it's a way of sort of controlling how big buildings are in in these places. Overlay districts are examples where you might have something like uh, if you uh, uh, include, uh, you know, some percent, let's say 20% of um, affordable housing units in your your building uh, will allow you to build three extra units or uh, bigger uh, square footage, something like that. So an overlay uh, district is where there is already a regular district, a zoning district, but then there are these other issues that overlay on top. Uh, transit-oriented design would be another. Uh, green space might be another. There's a bunch of different ways you, you would have these things. This is something that's very big on the NCARB exam. Uh, I know it's been asked a number of times, so it's, some, it's an idea you should grab your, your, uh, get, your, get your hands on. Uh, So just to be real quick here about it, though, covenants, very similar to zoning rules, but covenants are private for, like, say, imagine a gated community and why all the houses all look kind of the same in a gated community. It's because as a private deal, they have covenants that are part of the deed and you have to follow those. Well, that's a private uh, uh, aspect. Uh, It's not the town that's doing it that's part of buying into uh, that process. So covenants are often asked in questions like this because they seem like zoning rules, but they're private. Easements, similar situation. Uh, if you have a, uh, an easement for say, uh, power lines to go through your property or a driveway for somebody else, uh, somebody can get to their property through your property, or even if it's a, like a view easement or something, these things have the power that zoning does in the fact that you, are controlled of what you can do on your site, depending on the easements, but the easements are contracts that ride with the deed. So the power company makes a contract with you, but it's a specific kind of contract. It's an easement contract. And so it's not just a deal between two people. It actually becomes part of the property. Doesn't mean it's there forever. All easements can have time time limits to them, but they're there in such a way that you uh, can Uh, count on them in a sense that it's like a zoning setback or something, uh, but it's not. It's private. It's part of the deed. Fire ratings, that's building code, not zoning code.
0: All right, we're down to 19.
1: Okay. Number five, you are working on the truly inspiring project of a Jiffy Lube, for those of you who haven't lived in my world for very long, Uh, an auto repair and oil replacement retail establishment. Um, I used to have a car that I had to change the oil, like, every month and a half. And <laughs> so I got to know all the different uh, oil change places all around the uh, uh, it's a long story. All right, it's in a cold climate of Minneapolis. What sort of heating system would you expect for the main car bay? So we have a DX RTU, a hydronic system, an air-based furnace system, an IR system, infrared system. The DX rtu that's a uh, direct change. Uh, that's uh, RTU means rooftop unit. Um, that's where there is no uh, cold water system. It's just using uh, the refrigerant. Um, it's a, typically a uh, uh, air-based furnace system. Uh, I'm gonna come back to that one in just a second. A hydronic system, meaning like it's a hot water pipe system. Uh, air-based furnace system, just exactly what it sounds like, uh, and an IR system. The IR systems are the ones that are those boxes that you can actually see in the room, uh, and they are the line of sight. They, they look like giant toasters, essentially. <laughs> uh, so, do I want a hydronic system in a car bay for oil change place? No, I don't. What happens when the doors are open a lot because the cars are coming in and out? Uh, there's a really good chance that uh, I'm going to get things cold enough that I'm going to freeze those pipes, and that's just going to be a terrible idea. I'm going to have to rip up the concrete. So hydronic systems are out. Uh, So B is out. Uh, So then the question comes, uh, what about uh, A and C? Well, those are both air-based systems where I'm uh, using convective currents blowing warm air into the space in this cold climate in Minneapolis. Uh, And imagine you're doing uh, car repairs and uh, oil changes. This is where the cars are coming in out at a very fast rate. Uh, they're probably in, each car is probably in for five to ten minutes at the most. It means you're opening those doors constantly. So every time you warm all that air up, you then open the door and all that air gets lost outside. This the air based systems, terrible idea. So you're not gonna do that. And that takes care of both that DX system, which sure looked pretty Technical, didn't it? So that was a, I bet that caught a bunch of people. Uh, and then C as well. So the best answer in this very weird particular specific situation is going to be that infrared toaster system uh, where it's a radiator and it's going to radiate into the space so that uh, you feel warm and the car feels wor- warm and the uh, concrete feels warm and the tools feel warm, but it may not do that much to the air. The air itself. Uh, is probably relatively cool. Uh, This is the kind of question you would get about these sorts of things. They're not gonna ask you a question like, what kind of system should you use for a house or for some, because you could use a hydronic system or an air-based system. Like it's not specific enough, right? So the reason what you're looking at in these kinds of questions is, what is it telling me that is gonna be the thing that's gonna be the driver of how I answer that question? Okay, we got two totally tricky, ridiculous questions left. Uh, I'm just going to run through these mm-hmm. very We've got quick,
0: nine remaining quickly. right now. Nine people have gotten Yeah, all I'm not right.
1: sure we count these. I don't know. We'll have to let your team right. decide because we'll, we'll these are kind of trick to questions. Honest Rachel. And yeah, Rachel will, she will she make says. the decision. Um, all right, so number six the clear opening width at any entry door that meets the typical ADA standards is A36, B32, C30, D42. I would imagine that many of you probably would answer that as 36 inches. Uh, The actual answer is B, 32 inches. Um, And the uh, uh, reasoning there is if you imagine you have a door.
0: We do need drawing music for you, by the way. I know.
1: Yeah, please add it in in the post-production, will you? So there's my uh, 36-inch door, and by it being 36 inches, by the time I've got the door, physic- the thickness of the door, the door handle, uh, the stop uh, over here, this is the, the amount of space left for the, to stop the, the physical door, uh, a 36-inch door will leave me easily 32 inches. So by meeting the code of 32, we mostly use 36-inch doors. So, the point of saying this is not to be overly tricky, although it is obviously a trick question. Uh, the point is to say that think about what the question is actually about. In this case, it's asking about ADA standards. It's not asking about how big is the door, right? And so you're looking for the clue to how you're supposed to answer the question. All right, the next uh, trick question here. You only knocked one person off at of that. So oh, okay, that's not too bad. good job in those eight. Um, Uh, The next uh, sort of trick question here is, how long is the accessible ramp that has a 45 inch vertical height? Um, So uh, probably everybody knows that if I have uh, 12 inches horizontal, that uh, allows me one inch vertical, uh, and so that's a one to 12 relationship. So uh, if I have uh, one to 12, uh, that means it's one inch vertical to one foot horizontal. So 45 inches vertical should get me 45 feet horizontal, except every 30 inches vertical, I need to have a landing. So it's going to add five feet onto my uh, my ramp. Uh, So my accessible ramp that goes 45 inches vertical is going to be actually 50 feet long. Uh, So again, trick question, uh, but there you go.
0: And I think that's an interesting point. You're you're doing a nice job of clarifying these as somewhat trickier questions. And again, we talk about this often that NCARB will try as, as hard as they can to not have, you know, yeah. trick questions. Um, I think, as Mike said, um, he's u- utilizing those those types of questions to really help you kind of think. Um, and so it's it's important for you to not get freaked out and, and not worried that you know NCARB is going to try to trick you. Yeah, they
1: um, they they are not going to go out of their way to. Uh, do something that really feels like a trick question. However, they are likely to give you multiple answers that are all potentially correct answers. It's just that one is the better answer, the best answer. That's right.
0: So, um, all right. So, thank you for that, Mike. Um, I do have one, uh, let's say, interesting question here. Um, So, Michael had asked with question one for the mock exam, he said, can you define clear span a little bit further? He said he understood that Um, This is a true clear span without columns and from research he thought um, post-tensioned concrete could not span the 180-foot length. Um, So, is there something he's missing in terms of understanding clear span or, you know, can it really go that long?
1: Yeah, um, it's probably about as long as it can go. Um, It's sort of at the top end of that, Uh, but uh, post-tensioning can go that long and there's a number of examples of it. uh, but clear span, yeah, would mean there's no interior columns.
0: Okay, good. And then um, let's see a, a variety of questions about the the ramp. Um, so uh, Daniel asks for the ramp question. Why do you not include
1: the top and bottom landing? Let's say. Oh, that's a good question. Um, uh, the bottom landing, I think, I would not include because the bottom landing is typically not part of the actual structure, mm-hmm. um, so I think that's kind of not uh, necessarily in it. I could imagine making the case for the top landing being included, so I think that's a perfectly rational question. Um, and like we said, this is, these are sort of these two add-ons here just to be able to talk about this issue, know that uh, accessibility issues are definitely going to be part of this exam. Um, so that's a great question. I, let's hope that they're better question writers than, than I was for this one. <laughs> Fair enough.
0: All right, good deal. All right, well, I, I want to thank everybody for, uh, for their questions. A couple things before we go. If you'd like to attend our next ARE live broadcast where we'll be using uh, a project development and documentation mock exam just like this to cover all the most perplexing and difficult topics for that division of the ARE, I just posted a link in the chat box in your GoToWebinar control panel. Um, Uh, Just go down to where it says chat, and the link is there. Or you can simply go to blackspectacles.com slash podcast to register. Um, And again, just like today's episode, you'll have a chance to ask questions and share your answers uh, with Mike for live feedback during the broadcast. Um, To learn more about our ARI exam prep curriculum, you can go to blackspectacles.com, where you can try out any of the free course videos as well as practice exams and flashcards. We've updated all of that so, um, so you can get access to all of that. And as I like to say, if you want your boss to pay for your membership, be sure to visit blackspectacles.com firms to learn more about our firm memberships for firms of, uh, of any size. Um, proud to be NCARB's first and only approved test prep provider. Um, they've approved all of our ARE 5.0 uh, materials, which is really exciting. Um, so make sure that uh, you, know, you, you go check that out on our website. Uh, for those of you who are ready to start uh, preparing for the ARE right now, we can give you a code, which we have right here. It is PPD12419PC. So you can uh, use that to get a 15% discount for the entire duration of your ARE exam prep membership. Finally, tomorrow we'll send you an email follow-up about today's live broadcast. So please let us know what you think and share any suggestions that you may have. I promise that we read every word that you write Um, And we use those to tune our next episodes. So thanks for watching.